Thank you for listening to Life Church Lithia. At Life Church, you belong before you believe. Tune in today for a life-changing message from our lead pastor, Gio Munoz. We start a new series called Church of Power, and the Lord dropped it in my spirit that God is restoring power to the church. How many of you know power is not correlated to attendance? Somebody say amen. Power is not correlated to hype. You can go into a room and there could be a lot of hype. You go to a, to a Buccaneers game, there's going to be a lot of hype, but there's not going to be a lot of power. And so you can get into a building full with a lot of hype and full with a lot of loudness and full with a lot of excitement, but it doesn't mean that there's power. And so here's, here's the conviction around this series. We're going to be talking around about the anointing. We're going to be talking about courage and boldness because I believe God is raising up a bride. He's raising up, he's speaking life, he's breathing life into a body of people that will do kingdom work. That will do what the, that they would look at this book and they would believe every single thing that's inside of it. So if you're looking for a church that believes the whole gospel, for a church that believes in worship and believes that Jesus is king, you have found the right church. A church, I'm not just saying that. I want you to understand that Jesus could tell me this week to change the whole thing and we change it all. <laughs> I promise you. Because he's the pastor of our church. He is the, I'm not the great shepherd. You say, thank you, Jesus. He's the great shepherd. And so as we follow him, he's leading us to become again a church of power. A church that walks in the anointing. A church that walks in miracle signs and wonders. Not so that people can look and say, oh, look how awesome, but that the kingdom of heaven would be displayed to all man. Ah, we're going to be in the book of Acts today. We're going to start in chapter 3. And we're going to dissect, man. And we're going to look at what it, what it really looks like to build a church God's way. Ah, chapter 3. I'm so excited. You know, I'm going to give you context on chapter 3 because we're really going to be in chapter 4 today. And we're going to be reading scripture, but that's good today. Chapter 3, here's what's going on. Peter and John are walking, and they're going to a time of prayer. And it was 3 in the afternoon, and there was a man there who was lame from birth, never walked, had problems with his feet, problems with his ankles. He had all kinds of issues, and he was waiting at the gates of a place called Beautiful. And as he was there, he cries out to them, and he goes, hey, can you guys help me? Can you give me money? Can you give me material things? And the desperation of the man was so great that they turned their attention towards the man and Peter and John said this to him Peter said sorry he says this silver or gold I do not have but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ walk taking him by the right hand he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong he jumped to his feet and he began to walk this was a miracle then he went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. How many of you know if you walk for the first time in your whole life, you would be excited? <laughs> and so he's walking into the temple courts, and it says, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man that used to sit begging because they used to classify him by his condition. But now he was walking. And it says this, they recognize him sitting my gate beautiful and they were filled with wonder and amazement. Say that, wonder and amazement. They saw the miracle, they saw the man who had been lame his whole life and they saw him, they recognized him and because of the act of the, of the kingdom, what happened? They said, silver or gold I have not, but what I do have I give you. What did he give to him? 
It was kingdom. It was the kingdom power inside of them that was literally transferred into the man who had not been able to walk. And so in a place where man was looking for material things, going about his day, he says, silver and gold I do not have you, but what I do have I will give to you. And what I have to release to you is the kingdom of heaven. And because the kingdom of heaven was released, even the unbelievers looked at him and said, see, we're looking for strategies, right? What's the strategy to get people in our building? Look around, we're full. What's the strategy to get more people into more buildings, to build bigger buildings, to buy more expensive stuff, so then we can be successful? But what if Jesus was more interested in us being filled with his presence and going out and doing miracle signs and wonders? Why? So that the unbeliever would be filled with awe and amazement. Not at you, not at me, but at how good Jesus really was. I love that he says, I give you, and I pray in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Nazareth. (laughs) He's redirecting the attention. And this is what God has called us to as a church. If you are a born-again believer, you have to know, this should encourage you, not discourage you, that when you say yes to Jesus, everything that you need for you to walk in this is inside of you. There has to be a shift that takes place where we realize that we may not have material things to give all the time as a church, and one day we will, and we will give them, because that is part of the gospel. Somebody asks you for a shirt and you got it, you give it. But at the same time, I think God is even more concerned with us being a people that when we walk into situations that seem hopeless, we have something to give them. We do not just pat them on the back and say, I'm so sorry, but we have the means inside of us because of the anointing, because of the, because of the Holy Spirit inside of them to give them something they could not give themselves. To give them something that money could not even give. And so God is restoring life into a lifeless bride. For a long time, listen, the church has turned into like an apathetic group of people that we get together and we applaud a word because we know it's true, but it doesn't get deep into our hearts. You say, how do you know? Because if it got deep into your heart, you'd live it every day. That's not condemnation, bro. That's truth. We would take this gospel and it would be more than applauding and doing nothing. It would be everywhere we go, whether you go to work. Well, I was just talking to Wes. He's like, man, I'm surrounded by people who are hurting, but they're good people. That you would, everywhere you go, you would see opportunity to be Jesus. You say, well, am I really called to that? Yeah, man, the Bible calls you a living epistle. That means that the greatest message you will ever preach with your life is the way you live. In the midst of adversity, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of heartache, what you do in those seasons say the most about you. And so here they are, and they had done a wonderful work. And you go into Acts chapter 4, and something begins to change. The people were in awe. They were in wonder. The man had been lifted. Everybody knew this man. He probably sat there every day because everybody used to walk past his gate. It would have been the best place for a beggar to sit. But the beggar was now gone, and everybody knew it. They had recognized him. And so in chapter 4, things begin to change for these guys, right? It says this, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, many were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus Christ, there is a resurrection of the dead. They had an issue with something they could not understand. Furthermore, they had an issue with something. Here's the real issue. There were guys who weren't educated that knew something they didn't. So it says this, they arrested them 
And since it was evening, they put them into jail until the morning. But many of the people who heard the message, what was the message? Hey, did you hear about the guy at Gate Beautiful? He used, to, he used to not be able to walk, but now he can't. How did that happen? Because Jesus. He came into contact with these guys who used to follow Jesus, and their whole situation changed. <laughs> That's the message. And when that message went out, now the, the amount of people that were influenced by the message were 5,000 people. It all started with the miracle in Acts 3. It actually started with the outpouring in Acts chapter 2. Because without the outpouring, there's no guy lifted it gave beautiful. So the next day, the council and the rulers and elders and teachers of the religious law, they met. Ananias was there and there was a bunch of people and it says this. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or whose name have you done this? Huh. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed to a crippled man? There's sarcasm there. So you mean to tell me that I'm in jail right now because I helped the guy who couldn't walk? This is the best accusation we have. This is the dialogue that's going on. Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ. The man whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Wow. Listen. Peter points out this crazy, I have to say this, because he, hey, he heals a guy at Gate Beautiful, thousands of people are saved, and you would think, this is wonderful, this is beautiful, but the next situation, you got to read the scriptures like this, it's one ongoing story. Chapters, chapters are divided, but this is one ongoing story. It's one situation. He heals the man, they're about their way, people get saved, and all of a sudden, they're in jail. This is the progression. Because how many of you know, when you walk in kingdom power, devils get stirred up? Listen, if you don't want to stir up the devil, you better hurry. You better hurry. Because the way that we're going as a church, we are here to bankrupt hell and populate heaven. And when you begin to walk in kingdom power and the heal, the sick are healed, the dead are raised, and stuff begins to happen, it stirs up devils. Things begin to happen and devils become bothered because you are undoing their doing. And this is what you're called. This is what had happened. Peter and John had messed with the devil's agenda for this man's life who had been years and years and all of a sudden they did the right thing but found themselves what they would think like is in the wrong place. And they find themselves in their place. And there are people, man, all, like this all over the world. Listen, the devil has scarred, he's robbed, he's stolen from. And God has put us on this planet and he has filled you with his spirit. If he hasn't done it yet, he's going to do it today. You're going to be filled with his spirit for what? So that you can love broken people. So that you can help people find wholeness. You have been called to the ministry of reconciliation. You are reconciling them to the Father. You are becoming a bridge for the hurting. For the people that don't know how to get there, you say, you know what? You walk on my back. Let me help you. It's what they did that day. When they extended the anointing to that man, they gave him something he couldn't get on his own. And so the God is restoring the gospel of power. The Christian life for a long time has been a life where we've learned to be better people. So we learn to be better people and to, and to kind of control our families because we know they're crazy. <laughs> and to manage our money in a way that maybe pleases God, right? And this is what we teach. And none of this is bad. 
The only problem is it's a partial gospel. The problem is that that kind of Christian living does not bring life to the guy at Gate Beautiful. If Peter and John would have walked by that man that day and they would have taken out a stack of coins and given him money, I bet you it would not have been in this book. And so we got people coming to the world, God, use me. I want to change the world. I would say to you, you can, but it's got to move past you giving silver and gold. It doesn't mean you don't give silver and gold. God has commanded us to give, but what it means is you have something to offer that is more than mere materials. Are you alive? The problem is that this has been the limit of Christian living. Where we come in and we learn to manage our situations instead of step into breakthrough. And so, for instance, it is a foreign concept for you to be in a church today. It would be almost appalling if you were sitting in a church and a demon would manifest. And people, <gasps> what is, take them to a back room. What's, where's the demon back room? Not kidding. It would be appalling because we have become so accustomed to a gospel without power that we sit next to people who are caring, who have issues. And nothing happens because the demons are just all comfortable in your atmosphere, bro. That should be a problem, right? Because you look at the life of Jesus, and everywhere Jesus went, things got stirred up. They were never comfortable in the presence of this man, nor were they comfortable. Furthermore, there were disciples that walked up to a demon-possessed man, and they said, we know Jesus. We heard of Peter, but I don't know who you are. Can I read it to you? <laughs> Acts 19. Listen to what happened to these people who were obviously not walking by power. Acts 19, it says, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them. With such violence, they fled the house. They didn't only flee the house, they were naked and battered. That's a bad day. <laughs> so I wonder if sometimes the reason things don't manifest is because Jesus doesn't want us to have to leave the building naked and battered. Listen, this is a gospel of power. We preach a balanced gospel. I've been preaching for six months on fixing our eyes on Jesus so that you can't say all they care about is miracles, signs, and wonders because it's not that. But if we don't talk about it, it's never going to happen. If we don't believe for it, if we don't contend for it, if we don't teach people that this should be the normal life of believers, you will continue to walk in, in a gospel that is about accommodating everything around you. Let's not make anybody upset. Let's make sure everybody keeps happy. Listen, Jesus was clear. You see the message. He talked about the cost of following him, and the disciples walked away. They saw the miracles. They saw the signs. They saw the wonders, but they could not understand, so they walked away. And what he's looking for is a church who would walk beyond understanding. You walk into this building today, and you say, what are you talking about? My life is broken. I'm talking to you about the thing that could fix it. I no longer preach to the power of sin. I'm past that. Because I know when you collide with the anointing and the Holy Spirit and you open up your heart, everything you ever wanted for your life will be found. We don't need to talk about sin. We don't got to rehash the issue. I don't got to give you steps. What you need is to collide with Him. What you need is to believe that the anointing has the power to break the yoke of sin. What does that mean? It means that one time you were locked together with sin. 
the same way two horses were yoked together, that was you and your problem. But when the Holy Spirit came and the anointing fell, you were broken from that other thing. That's what it means. It means that something came upon you and it broke everything off of you. You say, well, I don't feel that way. Well, that, I'm sorry. But you've got to continue to get towards Jesus where your feelings align with the truth. And where you realize you are no longer bonded, you are no longer captive to sin, but you are alive in Christ Jesus and seated in heavenly places. You say, well, man, I still struggle with sin. Okay. I get it. But, it, but, but now you are now sinning outside of your nature. It's no longer who you are. You are violating who God had created you to be. And so here are these men, and they're walking, and now they find themselves in front of people being attacked, persecuted for something that was right. Many would see this situation, right, and they would begin to bind the devil. I bind you in the name of Jesus, and Lord, on my behalf, we send fire on them, you know. All, all the Christian stuff that we pray, vindicate me, O Lord. Because this would be the prayer we would pray if we found ourselves in this kind of persecution for doing the right thing. But this is not what these men prayed. You continue to go on in the scripture and it says this. There's a couple of verses I gotta read because I love it. Verse 13 of chapter four says this. The members of the council, these were the religious people of the time, were amazed when they saw the boldness, somebody say boldness. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men. I love that. It was how simple these guys were that they could not believe what they were doing. They were, the one version said they were uneducated men. That's why we no longer put people into ministry positions based on degrees and pieces of paper. That's why we no longer, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was the simplicity of the men and their ability to follow the Lord and be in the presence of God that wowed them. That said, what is it about these men? And it says, men with no special training in the scriptures, they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. I'm going to read it again. They had also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. What, what allowed them to be recognized as someone who walked with Jesus? <laughs> it was the miracle. I'm going to go back. It was the miracle. I gave beautiful. It was when they broke the supernatural, broke into the natural, that they were like, wow, they must walk with the king. Their eyes were open to the fact that there's something different about them. They were not known by their words, they were known by their acts. So verse 18 says this. So they called the apostles back because they had no idea what to do with these guys. And they said, they commanded them, they threatened them. Never again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think, you need to read this. Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and we've heard. Who is this? Who's talking? This is the same guy who Jesus looked at and he said, listen, before the rooster, ba ba ba." Before that happens, you will have denied me three times. This is the same guy who walked with Jesus three and a half years. He saw the miracles. He saw the signs. He saw the wonders. They went out two by two. They didn't just see Jesus do it. They did it. Yet when the little servant girl came and said, 
didn't you walk with Jesus when Jesus was being crucified? He said, I don't know. Same guy. Yet something happened between that and Acts chapter 4 where he said, I cannot be quiet about what I see. What would it look like for a church to be in such a place that you would refuse to be quiet about what you've seen and what you've heard about Jesus? Oh, I feel the Lord, man. What would it look like for you to live in such boldness and such courage? It was, it was the impartation of, listen, don't disengage right now. It was the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 that fell with power, that invaded their lives and allowed them to walk in boldness where a man that used to deny him now says, I cannot deny him. I can no longer live that kind of life. And it's what God is looking for in the church today. Listen, hanging around Jesus or people who walk around Jesus does not give you the kind of courage that you, can, you cannot stay quiet. It doesn't. It takes a baptism of power. The anointing will cost you something. I know some of you are like, what are you talking about? Listen, more is caught than is taught. Sometimes you need to sit and engage and realize that not everything has to be understood. Somebody say amen. Oh, who wants to serve a God that understands everything about him? Who wants that? I want a God that will blow my mind. That just about when I think I understand something, I realize he's so much bigger than I thought. That I become so captivated by his bigness that when I come across sickness, it seems like something petty. That when I come across an impossibility, who he is becomes so big in my mind that everything else has to fade. We cannot be quiet about what we've seen and what we've heard. Do what you've got to do, but I'm going to continue to preach Jesus because he's given me something that nobody else can. Oh, this is the gospel. <laughs> what, if, what if you've been so immersed? What if you get so immersed with God that the decision to disobey has been forfeited? What if that happens to you? That you get to the place that when you are walking with God, He speaks to you, and the word, I can't, becomes a cuss word. It's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You cannot do it in your own strength. I cannot do it in my own strength. But when the spirit of God comes, nothing is impossible. Nothing means no thing. You pick it down for you. That when you come across, some of you look afraid, and that's okay. Listen, because we talk like this, right? We talk about paying a price and about giving, and some will say, there were some things that were okay for me a year ago that are not okay today. I can't do them. They violate what I know God has called me to do. It's not about sin. You think I'm still talking? I'm not. I'm talking about obedience that goes beyond what is required in this book. 
And some will say, well, no, that's legalism. That's religion. Why can't you do this and why can't you do that? Why can't you drink and why can't you do this? You want to, listen, I'm not trying to convict you. I'm just saying that complacency has been hidden behind legalism for a long time. So in the name of religion and legalism, we say, well, we can do. It's the wrong question. This gospel is not about how close can I get to compromise and still get to heaven. This gospel is about how can I give my whole self to him so he can do something within me that I can never do. Oh, man, we got to this church. You should have heard the haters. Oh, so gross. That church has been... 10 people for 10 years and 12 years and I don't know how they're going to do it but I, I knew the Lord <laughs> I knew I couldn't be quiet about what I've seen and what, I, what do you mean it's impossible I saw a kid in Africa get raised from the dead you're talking about a building with people I was there we were in Mexico 4 weeks ago where God spoke to a little 14 year old girl you're going to run into a kid with a yellow shirt and I'm going to use you we went on a treasure hunt so we're walking the streets of Mexico and we're praying for people and God's moving and then my wife sees a kid with a yellow shirt literally crawling on the ground how old was he probably five four or five years old and they close the door and my wife freaks out we got to go in. that's the kid mind you this little 14 year old girl was not some prophet or apostle walking in the Lord she's a little girl she she just came on the mission ship because she wanted to eat tacos <laughs> not even kidding So we're looking for the kid with the yellow shirt and they close the door and in Mexico when it's lunchtime you don't mess with people they are serious about their, their food so the, the, the translators like listen it's lunchtime you don't mess with their siesta time bro and, and Destiny's like that's the kid so we knock we, we look in the window say hey can we please pray the ladies open the door we said listen God showed us that there was a kid with a yellow shirt and it's that kid so we want to pray for him because God's going to touch him these are non-believers so we walk into the house, the kid is crawling, we ask, what's wrong with the kid? Every single one, his heart was on the opposite side. All of his organs were on opposite sides. And they're freaked out now because we had no idea. We're Ameri we're gringos walking the streets of Mexico. And God sent us to that place at that time to pray for this little kid. So we walk into the house and the house is as dark. It's bright outside, but it's dark in the house. You can feel the demonic presence in the house. And you walk in and it feels hard and it feels strange and you can feel the oppression. But when we go in and we begin to praise Jesus, ah, you go in and you begin to declare the goodness of the Lord. We weren't binding, we were not loosing, we were releasing peace. And we prayed for the little kid and the mom watched. As the Holy Spirit came in and the women began to weep and they began to throw away their witchcraft stuff. And you walk out of the building and you walk in where you once felt darkness, now you feel light. Because every demonic presence in the room had to leave when the name of Jesus was lifted up. It's a gospel of power. You say, well, we don't see it all the time. I know, I get it. It bothers me too. It's why we're having this conversation today. John was sick last week. I went to his room almost every single day, laid hands on him. Did I not? And we prayed and we believed. I would have wanted it to happen on day one, but it happened on day seven. But we're contending for day one. You understand? We don't settle. We don't give up. We continue to press forward because we know that all things were paid for at the cross. The 
cross is not just where my sin died. It's where your sin died. It's where sickness died. It's where bondage died. It's where depression died. It's where anxiety dies. That's where everything changed. So we fight and we push forward for everything that he paid for because I want him to get his full reward. You won the lotto tomorrow. You're not going to go and say, can I only have 25000 How many of you? You won't. So we live our lives in such a way where we let God get his full reward for the sacrifice that he did in his son. I'm talking to you about boldness. It would be easy for you to sit up there and go, well, I've only been saved for six months or, you know, about four months ago I used to be on drugs. Good. Good. Because I'm fully convinced that God wants to use those kind of people even more. There's something about somebody saying, man, that guy four months ago used to be on drugs, but he's, he's talking to people and they're getting saved. There's something about families being restored. There's something about marriages and relationships and things being brought together where you don't know how it's going to happen, but you realize it's nothing you did, that you were in the presence of God and all of a sudden you got lost in His goodness. And you realize that there was stuff in your life and you go, what am I going to do with that? And you realize there's nothing I can do, but then he comes and he touches you. Oh, that's what he did in Isaiah. I'm sweating so bad. I feel like I'm on fire. Can I read to you one more story? What time is it? We're okay. Five minutes. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says this, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. Say, it's not a lot of talk. Lots of places with a lot of talk. Kingdom of heaven is not a lot of talk. It's a gospel of what? Power. God's living power. We've got to get to the place as a church where we realize that Christian maturity is not based off of understanding. We, love, we, we measure maturity by understanding. So the more books you've read and the more things you've done and the more people you've sat under and the more people that lay hands on you, the more mature you are. It's not it, bro. Christian maturity is based off of experience. I'm happy with you when you give your life to Jesus and you live a life of character. I'm impressed when you live a life of power. I'm impressed when you pay the price to walk in everything that God has given to you. So you have a decision to make, right? Either you behold your issue or you behold the lamb. Whatever you stare at will become magnified. I'm telling you today, God wants to heal sicknesses today, and God wants to baptize people. I'm talking about in about 10 minutes. We're about to lay hands on the sick, and I'm believing they're going to be recovered. We're going to lay hands on people who have felt spiritually dead, and God's going to breathe life. But your ability to understand and to hunger for that will determine what happens. Romans 15. Oh, Jesus, help me. Romans 15 says this. Paul speaking, he says, For I presume not to speak of anything except what Christ has done and accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by deed and by word. The life that Paul lived, the result of his life in power, was that the Jews and the Gentiles, the believers and the people who weren't even supposed to be believers, believed because of the way he lived his life. How many of you know that's good? This is how he classified the works and deeds that he did. In the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Holy Spirit. That by 
from Jerusalem to Irilicum, I have fully preached the gospel. I have fully preached the gospel. It's what God is looking for today. For people that would fully preach the gospel, that they would not settle for a measure of the gospel, that they would not settle for a piece of the gospel, that it would, that it would go beyond. God, I cry to the Lord about this. God, please help us to become a church that believes for more than just a service. Oh, you don't know. We've been in the services where the glory of God has come in and not a word was said. You say, why do we need that? You can't understand it until you're in it. And it's the hunger of God that draws him close. That all the decisions for complacency and for garbage and for, for things of the world fade away and you say, just give me him. Or you change the way you view life. I used to go eat, I'll with this, I used to go eat with my dad when I was in ministry school. And when I was in ministry school, I was baroque. <laughs> and so we used to go out to restaurants and my dad likes nice restaurants because he likes nice things. So we used to go out to eat and I never wanted to assume my dad was going to pay for my meal, right? Because that's just rude. So I'm looking at the menu and we'd be somewhere like Longhorns and I'd look at the menu and when I'm looking at the menu, I'm like, man, I want this, but I could afford this. And so my resources affected the way I looked at the menu. So when I was thinking about things according to my wallet, there was only certain sections I could look at at the menu. Every once in a while, my dad would look at me and he'd go, hey, bro, don't worry about it. I got you. And the moment he says, I got you, the whole menu opened up. <laughs> it was like, where's that porterhouse? Because it was no longer due to my resources. It had to do with his wallet now. And I feel that the reason we don't see power and the reason we don't see things is because we continually look at situations according to our own wallet. So you look at the menu of life and you come across somebody who's sick or somebody who's hurting or you're looking at your own life and you're saying, this is what I got, <laughs> so this is what I'm going to settle with. But what if you realize that it wasn't about your wallet? What if you realize that, listen, you serve a God with unlimited resources. Daddy ain't broke. I stopped worrying about resources a long time ago. Where's my treasure? Say amen. Because daddy's not broke. He's got all the resources he needs. And what he says is, go on. I got you. And so your only job is to be in the realization that he has given you everything you need. All you do is you broker that junk. <laughs> it's not even yours, so you can't take credit for it. If it would have been out of my wallet, I could have felt good about it. But because it's from daddy... I got to give him honor. I got to give him praise. So here's what I want to do. Can we close our eyes? I just want to take a moment. I'm not going to move right into it because this is what I feel like we need to do. We're going to take a moment. And we're just going to be in the moment.
Jesus. And we're going to be in the moment until our image of him becomes bigger than our image of our problem. The more you stare at him, the bigger he gets and the smaller that thing gets. It's why we're not about to move right into the next portion. We're going to sit and we're going to breathe and we're going to think about how big he really is. And realize that when we look at the menu of life, it has nothing to do with what's in our wallet. It has everything to do with what he's given us. Jesus. Jesus. fast. You live in a fast world with a lot of issues and we struggle with being in the moment. 